Well, good morning. You now have permission to use the C word around me. So we got through Thanksgiving. And so as you see, we are now full blown into the Christmas season. We are starting a brand new series this morning. Um, uh, as you see, the oddest gifts of all. And you're going to understand why we call it the oddest gifts of all in just uh, as we go through this. But I think it's a, it's a really good lesson to think about. Because Matthew chapter 1, it ends, Jesus is born. We're going to be in Matthew 2, by the way, if you want to go there. But in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is born, he's named. But then we come into chapter 2. A lot of people don't realize this, but, but time kind of has moved forward, maybe even as much as two years. And the reason we know that is because in verse 11, we see that Jesus is now in a house. He's not in a stable. He's not in a manger. He is considered a child. That doesn't necessarily mean he's all the way to a toddler, but he's definitely older than he was when he was first born. And so chapter 2 begins this way. He says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east of Jerusalem came, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now, compared to the biblical account of this story, the story we hear this time of year is often filled with a lot of extra information. And some of that comes from history, some of that is... Uh, you know, from tradition, but these are ad they're added details that we hear this time of year. You know, the text, biblical text, just doesn't tell us how many there were. It just doesn't say anything about, you know, what their names were, even though now, you know, people believe that we can know their names, the timing of their arrival, all of these things. But we're still left to wonder, who are these wise men? Well, it's also translated as magi because they were astrologers and astronomers who served in royal courts throughout the ancient Near World. If you know the story of the book of Daniel, you may not realize this, but Daniel not only met, but he helped to save some wise men in Babylon because the, the king had wanted some interpretation of dreams and they couldn't give those. By the time of Jesus' birth, though, the Magi were prominently known as men who were studying sacred writings. It was people who dabbled in kind of mysterious, mystical practices. They were commonly associated with the Parthian Empire, which really is, is in this location here, Babylonia, Babylon, so forth, that today is modern-day Iran, Iraq if you kind of want to get an idea of things. But after Babylonian captivity, there was a, a, a group who stayed behind, and they continued to stay in that area, and the Jewish culture continued to linger in that area, and so it's likely, it's possible, that these magi were studying these sacred texts of the Jews um, in their pursuit of wisdom. And so maybe that's how they come and they say, we're looking for the one who's king of the Jews. Um, but the thing is, they don't quote 
Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, it speaks about this, this star that's going to rise. It's possible that's what they read. It's possible an angel told them, look for this star. And, and my point is simply this. There's a lot of things we don't know. And the reason is the Magi, they are sort of uh, supporting actors in the narrative about Jesus. And so we shouldn't focus on the things that we don't know. We want to focus on the things that the text does tell us about. And here's one of the things that it tells us in verse 11. He says, In going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, here it is, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And in this series, we're talking about these strange gifts that were brought by the Magi. And the question is, of all the details that we could have been given, such as names, such as exactly the date that they came, such as exactly how old Jesus might have been at that particular time, we're not given those things, but we are told the gifts. And they're odd gifts to us, right? And we've had a lot of baby showers around here. And I don't think anybody ever, to my knowledge, has received gold, frankincense, or myrrh. Us fathers are like, bring the gold. You can bring my baby gold anytime you want, right? Um, but I've never heard, you know, any of the ladies go, you know, I was really kind of hoping somebody would bring some frankincense and myrrh. We just don't do that. You know, they don't bring diapers, they don't bring bottles, they don't bring a stroller, things that we think of that you're going to need with a baby. They bring gold and some essential oils. And so it's like, what's the deal behind this? And what the deal is, is it's very significant. It's very significant. We're going to begin this morning with frankincense. This is the uh, topic Peyton has assigned me with. I don't know if that means the other two are better, uh, but that it's frankincense. Frankincense is really interesting. It's this gum-like um, material that's hardened. It comes from a trunk of a boswella tree. It's pretty much found in Yemen and Somalia. It's, it's very rare. And anything that's rare, you also know is expensive, right? Uh, based on the ancients, back in the day, Frankincense had the same value as gold. Uh, it, when you burn it, it has this very strong and beautiful smell behind it. Um, Glenda told me that if I would have told her to bring some frankincense, she has it because we know that she's wealthy and she can, you know, goes out to the Baswala trees and, and everything else. Uh, but she said we could have put it on our hands and smelled it and, and this kind of thing. She's, she's got other things that you can do with it. Um, but, but it's a very interesting, uh, interesting thing. And so because of its cost, it, it's not just a common everyday air freshener. Uh, and, and Glenda will tell you that too. You, you, you're not going to spend, she, she will tell you, you can get it for half price right now on essential oils. That's the time to buy it. But this had a much higher purpose, a much greater purpose. 
In fact, frankincense was primarily used for worship. The priests of Israel, they mixed it with three other ingredients to make the holy incense and the worship of Yahweh. They put frankincense in the showbread, the showbread for the Lord in the holy place. Because of its worshipers placed it on certain offerings, and because of its connection to worship, frankincense is seen as a gift for God. If you look back to Magi, what does it say in the beginning? They're going around and they're looking and they said, where is this one who's been born? You know, we, we see his star. said, we want to go and worship him. And as we saw in, in verse 11 a moment ago, they, they go into the house. The first thing they do, they fall down and they worship him as they break out these gifts. Worship is a very important element of what they have come to do. Because they realize that this baby is no ordinary baby. This is God. He is not just human. He is fully human, but he is fully God. And he is deserving of this worship. You know, when we think about um, the biblical accounts of Jesus' birth, we, we automatically think of Matthew and Luke. I mean, they give us the most details when it comes down to it. John gives us just like this little glimpse, but he, he, he attacks it in a different way. This is the way John put it. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. This is his birth announcement. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus receives worship because he's God. Later on, when he begins his ministry, about 30 years later, there are going to be those who, who come and they're going to realize through his, the things he says and, and through the miracles that he performed that this is, this is God and they worship him. And what you'll notice is Jesus never rejects their worship because worship is for God. We sing, sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Adoration is a deep love and respect paid to God. It gets to the heart of who we are to truly worship Him. It means we have to let go of our own self-worship. We must be willing to humble ourselves before God, to surrender every part of our lives under His control, simply because of who He is, and not only because of what He has done but because of who he is. True worship means that we lose ourselves in adoration of another 
Our only thought is of the majesty and the glory of the one that we adore. You see, the goal of the gospel is worship. Missions and evangelism are so important in our world today. But their whole goal is to bring others to the worship of the Almighty God, to the worship of Christ. Eventually, Jesus is going to come. And at that point, evangelism and outreach and missions, they're not going to be needed anymore. But worship... Worship goes on forever. It's forever. The gift of frankincense should should cause us to elevate our adoration to Jesus, to evaluate our own adoration for Jesus, God who came in the flesh to save us. I love this powerful passage from Philippians. Paul says, and being found in human form and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then he says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sing, O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. The gift of frankincense should call stop and to ask ourselves, have I grown careless about my worship to God? Do you just go through the motions? We've sang praises to God this morning. Has it been half-hearted? Has it been without thought? And I suspect there are people here who go through an entire worship service without giving a full minute of thought about God. Isaiah 29, 13 speaks of a people who did this. The Lord said, Because this people draw near near to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. The people in this chapter here, they appeared to be following Yahweh, but it was nothing more than mechanical ritual for them. Their hearts were not into it, if you will. Worship is not a matter of coming to church once a week. It's about who we are. It's about every day. Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A believer should make all parts of their life worship to our God. That means when we go to work tomorrow and you go to school, that means when you go to the ballpark, when you go and you hang out with friends, whatever it may be, that our life should be that that is bringing praise and adoration to our King. Christmas 
It's not about worshiping Jesus once a year. This is the story of God coming to earth to save humanity. It is filled with meaning and symbolism to remind us that this moment, this moment that just happened here, it's important. Christ should be worshipped every day. In Matthew's narrative, though, we find three types of people, and I think we still find the three types of people here in our culture today, here in our churches today even. And the first type are those who are hostile to Jesus. If you read in verse 3, you see Herod, he's hearing all of this, the Magi, they're going around and says, you know, where is this one who's been born king of the Jews? And, and he's very concerned about this because he's the king. Jesus is a threat to his kingship. It's a threat to his authority. And folks, I think that's exactly why people, they reject Jesus every day. Because he, is, he challenges our own power. He intimidates our own personal control. For some, if they admit it, they would say, I wish Jesus had never existed because I want to be my own God, which is what got us in this trouble in the first place. Another type of people we see are those who are indifferent to Jesus. Herod is kind of smart. He goes in verse 4 and he goes to the, to the priests and the scribes and says, Listen, do you know what you're talking about? Do you know where this one who's been born king of the Jews, do you know where he's supposed to be born? And they're like, oh yeah, Bethlehem. It's great. But what did they do? When they gave this information, they did nothing. And maybe that's you. It's not that you don't believe in Jesus, you're just indifferent to him. Isn't it interesting, most indifferent people that we see that are indifferent to Jesus in the Gospels just so happen to be the most religious of the day. And that doesn't mean everybody who's religious, that's where they are, but it should cause us to pause and to do some self-reflection upon ourselves, shouldn't it? They knew the Scriptures. They knew Jesus had been born in Bethlehem. They heard He had been born, and yet they, they went nowhere. A lot of people are spiritually apathetic. They know there's a God. They believe in Him. They know that Jesus was born. They know he was, he was later on crucified and he was raised again, but it just doesn't move their heart in any way. That's the second group that we see. I mean, imagine having a life-threatening illness and, and, and there's somebody who's willing, maybe it's a, a liver transplant, and they're willing to give you their liver and just, just so you can live and survive. How, what would that do to you? Would, would, you, would you ever think about that person if they saved your life? Would, would you maybe even at moments think, you know, I want to make sure that I live a good life because this person, they gave me a piece of themselves so that I could live. If we are indifferent to Jesus, we need to be asking God, why is my heart so apathetic towards you? Why is my heart apathetic towards your son? Jesus gave everything. He died. He was killed. He was tortured. 
so that we could have life. But there is a third group of people in this text. And it's those who come to worship him. That is the story of the Magi. That is the symbolism behind the frankincense. You get the idea when they come into Jerusalem, they will not stop until they find him. I'm here to tell you that God wants to reveal himself to you too, just as they were able to, be, to, to have that revealing of Jesus, the one who was born. He tries to do it every day in our creation. God tries to reveal himself to us in his word. He, he, he asks us, begs us to come to him. And, and he wants to, to, to reveal himself within us through his Holy Spirit, through our conscience, through, by writing God's law in our hearts. He wants to reveal himself in the person of Jesus. Peyton mentioned a moment ago about growth track. Growth track is a great way to understand who we are and understand what we believe, the things that um, we believe are important for all of us. It's also a place where you come to learn what is those next steps I need to take in my own life. Where do what does that mean? What does it mean to have faith? Why is it so important that we have a baptistry back here? What's, what's so important about these things? And it, it begins a journey. A journey for people who are seeking Jesus. And they will go to whatever extremes necessary in order to find him in order for Jesus to come into them. It's not going to give you everything. It's going to give you jumping off points and growth track. Ways that you can, you can talk to table hosts about going further because we believe that's so important. It's not about filling this building. It's about the one who came and the one who's coming again. The Magi and their gifts, I think they're also seen on a global scale. Israel was never intended to be the stopping point to God's grace. They were supposed to be the light for the nations. The nations would come, even though Israel would fail in many ways. But when they come, we learned that they're not coming empty-handed. Because a few verses later, as it speaks about this, he says, they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. This passage emphasizes the theme of the nations bringing tribute to God when the ultimate redemption is, has been accomplished. And at that time, the glory of the Lord will dwell in Zion as a light that is so bright that neither the sun or the moon is needed in order to light it. The nations will bring their wealth to God in a response to this inescapable draw to the light. And in 
the story of the Magi, we are given a microcosm of the nations who have come and drawn to the light as they've come and they've brought their gifts before him and they worship him. We are in, we are, we, this, this has begun, the light has come in Jesus Christ. We're still waiting for that ultimate revealing, but it's begun. Which is why we have this congregation full of Gentiles. If you didn't know you were a Gentile, that means a non-Jew. It's because Jesus has come. Let's sing this fist one more time. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Let's bow. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son a holy gift for all humanity wrapped in swaddling clothes. Lord Jesus, you are a priceless gift. You are worth more than all the money in the world. We glorify and we praise you for this moment. And we bring you our lowly gift of worship and adoration. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.